Let's pray and uh, commit our time to the Lord. Lord, bless our time this morning as we hear your word given through your servant, Duncan. Anoint him with your spirit and may you speak through your word directly through him and into our hearts and minds so that we may be encouraged and learn to live our lives in service of you, to bring you glory and to bring others into your kingdom. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, We're going to hear the Bible reading now. Thanks. Reading from Exodus chapter 3 through to chapter 4 verse 17. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh and to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised 
to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flying with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. 
a long reading. We are having long readings in this series, so you probably noticed that. One thing that's going to be really helpful, oh, hello everyone, by the way, if uh, you're new, my name's Duncan, <laughs> the, uh, one of the pastors here at Trinity Church, uh, but we are in this series this term in Exodus. There's long chunks of um, passages that we're looking at each week, uh, and so it is going to be really helpful if during the week you're able to read through the whole section that we'll be looking at, uh, especially next week we're looking at a massive um, chunk of Exodus, the whole uh, bringing the people out of Egypt and the plagues and all of that. Uh, and uh, it, it's helpful to do uh, to sometimes look at really go in, in the details, but it's also helpful, and that's what we're doing this term, is to go bigger and get the bigger picture, the whole, uh, the whole thing at once. So we're doing the whole of Exodus this term. Read ahead. Um, before we get to the passage, I wanted to mention a couple of very quick things. Um, one is an important um, so, uh, goodbye that we need to say, I think, today. So, Dion Murdoch, where are you, Dion? Uh, up, the, this is, uh, up the back there. Hello, Dion. Um, Dion has been with us for uh, many years, um, almost since we um, began as a church. Uh, but Dion is moving very soon uh, up to Mount Barker. Uh, and so we'll be uh, joining family up there. And uh, so we, we love you, Dion, and we, uh, we will be praying for you. We'll miss you. Uh, and uh, we, um, yeah, we pray that you have a really good move up there. So say goodbye to Dion today. I'm not sure if today is your last Sunday, um, but um, it, it will be, yeah. So, but uh, hopefully you'll be back and visiting us at some stage. Um, I'll pray for you in a moment. Uh, another very quick thing to mention. There was going to be a slide to tell you this, but... Um, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have another prayer and praise night in the Psalms. So that'll be on Sunday, the 28th of May, um, at about 4.30. We're going to spend time in here singing and praying and also have um, a light meal together afterwards. So that's in two Sundays' time, just a heads up. We'll get details out soon. Uh, I'm going to pray, then we'll look at God's Word together. Our gracious Father, uh, we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself in the gospel. And not only that, you've reconciled us to one another in Christ. Thank you uh, for the family of your church. Uh, thank you for the way in which Dion has been a, such a wonderful member of our family here. We pray that you might bless her as she uh, makes the big move up to Mount Barker. Uh, continue to hold her and carry her. Uh, and uh, we thank you for the, the way in which you have um, blessed us through her. Uh, over these years. Uh, we pray too now, Lord, as we look at this part of your word that is so rich, that has such depths in it. Um, Lord, we ask, uh, I ask that you might take the kind of stammering words and, and, and use them, please. We pray that today each person in this room might see something new and deeper and more wonderful about the glory of your holiness about the wonder of your grace and the way in which you have, by your grace, swept us, even us, into your great plans, your great eternal purposes. We thank you for that, Father, and we pray that you might, even now, please be at work powerfully among us by your Spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, it is conference season, is it? Uh, so we've had, uh, obviously, men's conference yesterday, Grace Conference coming up. Uh, this week, Miriam and I were really um, uh, privileged to be able to go across to a conference in New South Wales called Reach Australia Conference, uh, with over a 1,000 church leaders from across the country getting together. It was pretty incredible. 
Um, a few things stood out. Way too many slab cakes, um, as they do at these conferences. You know, the big plates of slab cakes. An abundance of guitars. I was going to have a... I had a picture up to show you of the stage. There was like 10 guitars lined up. I thought, wow, that's a lot of guitars. Uh, not all played at once, but... Uh, I mean, a highlight, we heard it before, a highlight is always the singing, isn't it, at these things. The main highlight for me, though, was just the chance to raise my eyes above the everyday. That's one of the things that these conferences do for us too, isn't it? To receive again the glory and beauty of God, the wonder of what we have been swept into in Christ. We need that, don't we? It's too easy to forget that in all the pressures of life. Everything that's going on, I mean, you think about your life at the moment, everything that's going on, it's, it's way too easy, is it not, to forget to lift our eyes. It's, it's easy to, in our hearts and our minds to kind of put God in a bit of a box, isn't it? A bit of a box in our minds to believe in God, but to kind of make a God in our own image, a, a domesticated God who's there basically to kind of help you feel good, and achieve your dreams. Or more cynically, if you're kind of a bit sceptical about religion and Christianity, maybe a God who is a crutch in your weakness, a nice idea uh, invented to help you get through the inevitable suffering of life. But that's all. Friends, this passage is like dynamite that's going to blow that box wide open. Uh, The message of Exodus 3 and 4 is that there is one true God who isn't just a projection of our desires or a made-up crutch. The true and living God comes to us from outside ourselves, comes in fire, comes not as something that we can mould to suit ourselves. The one who comes as the uncontested Lord who has authority over us. And most wonderfully... This true God comes as one who chooses to stand with his people, to rescue them, to lead them, and to call them into his good purposes. His good purposes. So let's get into the passage. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll know we finished last week on a bit of a cliffhanger, the end of chapter 2. If you have Bibles, it'll be really helpful. Actually, if you don't have one and you want one, feel free just to run out and grab. We've got a whole heap there today at the the door. It will be helpful to have a Bible or you can look it up on your phone or whatever. Um, But you can see last week at the end of chapter 2, we finished on this cliffhanger. We're told the Israelites cried out to God because of their slavery in Egypt uh, and that God heard them. He remembered his covenant with Abraham. He took notice of them. And so the stage is set, as you get to this chapter, the stage is set for God to come and act, to come and do something uh, decisive, visible and direct. And, uh, but in chapter 3, verse 1, so you've got that, like this huge stage is set, God's going to do something amazing. And then you get to chapter 3, verse 1, and the scene changes totally. From the misery and suffering of the Israelites, suddenly the camera switches to this one particular Israelites going about his ordinary day as a shepherd in this land of Midian. It's obvious, of course, Moses, the shepherd. Uh, We saw last week Moses has fled from Egypt to this neighboring region of Midian. He's been there about 40 years, so he's he's about 80 years old here. That's just, pause there, that's interesting, isn't it? Like Moses starts his most effective work for the Lord at 80 years old. Um, 
but you don't get any sense that he's in a rush to give up his, his tree change at this point. He's kind of going about his life, but God had other plans for Moses. Let's have a look. Um, have your Bibles there. It'd be helpful. 3 verse 1. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, uh, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Uh, so that begins, this, this interruption begins the most important conversation in Moses' life. A conversation that it would change everything, not only for him, not only for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. Uh, we're going to look at this conversation as it unfolds. It, because it's so long, we're not going to go through um, bit by bit. We're, we're going to focus on three significant things that come out of it. And you can see it there in your passage, in your handout. Um, at its heart, this passage is not actually about Moses. It's not actually really about Moses. Uh, it is about the God who met Moses, who revealed himself to Moses. Uh, it's one of, I think, one of the most profound kind of bits of theology that we have in the whole Bible. We see right into the heart of who God is. And the first thing you see, you'll see it there in your handout if you've got it, the first thing you see is that he is the God who is. <laughs> he is the God who is. Look down at um, verse 14 and 15, uh, verse 13 first actually. So God calls Moses to join in his plans but um, you would have picked up as we read through, Moses gives this series of objections. Not me, Lord. I can't do it. Uh, he's just given his second one in verse 13. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's a fascinating answer, isn't it? I am who I am. Or it could be translated, I will be who I will be. It's as if God is saying, you can't put me into a box. Okay? I, it's not, I am who you want, or I will be who you'd like me to be. Sometimes we talk about God like that, right? You, you might hear uh, maybe um, you're kind of talking about God and you, you say, oh, well, I like to think about God like this. Someone else says, well, I like to think about God like this. The God of holy fire says, no. It doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter how you like to think about God. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Then God goes on in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. You've got your Bibles open. You can see there this, the, the, the word Lord, the Lord. You can see that it's all in, written all in capitals. 
You see that there as you're in your Bibles, that word the Lord in verse 15, it's all in capitals. And there's something actually really important going on there. So the word behind that in the Hebrew is just four letters, our equivalent of um, Y-H-W-H. Um, that's the name God gives for himself. And for the linguists out there, um, it's, uh, they're the letters taken from the verb to be. So it, it's basically God turning his statement in verse 14, I am who I am. He's turning that into a name, into a proper name. Uh, so why is, it in, why is it written Lord in capitals in your Bibles? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, later in Exodus, uh, the Israelites are given the Ten Commandments, one of which told them they were not to misuse the name of God. And this tradition um, sort of arose a bit after that, that they, they didn't want to even get close to doing that, so they wouldn't say the name of God at all. So they wouldn't actually say his name. Uh, and all, in order to do that, they said the word Adonai instead, which is their word for Lord. So they would kind of insert that in whenever they read Y-H-W-H in the Bible. Um, and along the way, because people stopped saying it out loud, and another fun fact about ancient Hebrew is there's no vowels in the written language, so we don't actually know how it was pronounced. Um, we're not sure how this word was pronounced. Our best guess is, is something like Yahweh. Uh, or you might have heard the word Jehovah. Uh, it's another kind of attempt. But we're not, we don't really know for sure. Uh, so, so that's why most English versions have stuck with the word Lord, but have put it in capitals. Just so that you know, it's not an impersonal title like King or something like that. When you see that, it's this very personal name of God given here to Moses, I am who I am, Yahweh. It's a name unlike anything else and any other. It speaks of God's utter separation from everything else, doesn't it? Uh, it'd be ridiculous for me to get up here and say, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Why? Because I'm totally dependent on so much outside of myself. I was given life by my parents. Happy Mother's Day, Mum, if you're watching online. Uh, I need constant input of food and air and water from outside me just to keep me going, right? And so do you. We're kind of, we're utterly dependent. But God's not like that. He's the one who is, who exists in his own power, who doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. Um, the Apostle Paul, writing later in Acts 17, or speaking, uh, says this, uh, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You get it? This Yahweh, the one who is, doesn't depend on anyone else or anything else. He's the source of life for everyone and everything else. That's why the ground Moses was standing on was holy ground. There's nothing special about the ground itself, but he was in the presence of this one, this sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, and he was right to be afraid. And yet, this name, this Yahweh, this name tells us something even more. The very fact that God gives us his name here, I think is really crucial. Uh, when I was a school teacher, I soon learned the importance of knowing a kid's name. 
Um, so before you know the name, it's really hard to maintain any kind of order. If you just say, boys, 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 you know, it doesn't do anything. But the moment you say, uh, who can I, who can I pick, pick on? John Higgins, what do you think you are doing? Uh, <laughs> I like the moment you say that, everyone perks up, right? And you kind of, you know, sit up straight. <laughs> Sorry, John. Uh, <laughs> everything changes, right? Um, using someone's name shows you have a relationship with that person, right? It means that you know them personally. It gives you access to them in a way that you could never have otherwise. And so when this God who is gives his name Yahweh, it is incredible. The one who is utterly holy and separate didn't stay at a distance. He could have, but he chose not to. He gave his people his name so that they knew him and he knew them. He's not only the one who is, but who, he is the one who is with his people. But again, that's not all there is to say. He's not just with his people to hang out with them. He has a purpose. He has a plan to save them. Uh, look at verse uh, 9 of chapter 3. He says... And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, at this point, I imagine Moses would have thought, awesome. The God of his fathers had seen what was going on and was going to act. You get the, you get the sense that Moses wasn't expecting what comes next. You can see it there in verse 10. God says, so now you, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Yahweh was with his people to rescue them, and he called Moses to join in his work, to partner with him in his plans. See what God doesn't say? He doesn't say, look, Moses, I'd really like you to do this. It'll really help me out. I'm in a bit of a bind. But look, no worries if not, but you think it over and get back to me. <laughs> like, that's not what God says to Moses, is it? Moses isn't doing God a favour. God doesn't need Moses. But in his grace and for his own glory, God calls Moses, wonderfully brings him in to his plans and his purposes. But Moses really, really doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do. Uh, you would have picked it up as we read through. Five times he sort of scrambles to think of any reason why he absolutely cannot go. So who am I? In verse 11, he says, look, who am I? And you know, that's a good question, right? That's understandable. God's telling, think about what's happening here. God's telling this guy to go up against the most powerful man in the known world and tell him to set free his entire slave workforce. I mean, I'd have that question too, right, wouldn't you? Who am I? Who am I to do this? But do you notice God's answer? It's kind of one of those um, answers that's not really a direct answer, but actually refocuses Moses to what's really important. It's as if he's saying, look, Moses, who you are is actually irrelevant. Verse 12, God's answer to Moses' question, who am I, is, I will be with you. 
I will be with you. It was Yahweh's mission, not Moses' mission. It was the Lord's power at work, not Moses' power. But all Moses could see was himself and his own inadequacy and weakness. And clearly he wasn't up to the task. And he was right. Of course he wasn't up to the task. Of course he wasn't up to the task. Who could be? Well, one person could be. The living Lord of the universe. And do you see what God doesn't say to Moses? He doesn't say, look, come on, Moses. You're better than you think. You can do it if you just believe in yourself. No, Moses is right to doubt himself. Who am I, Moses asks. You're nobody, Moses. Of course you can't do it. But it's not about you. I will be with you. I will be who I will be. And I say to you, I will be with you. But Moses keeps coming up with excuses, reasons why he can't do it. So flick down to verse 13, he says, so he goes from who am I to who are you? And we've already looked at that. That's when God reveals his name. Uh, at the start of chapter 4, verse 1, he says, okay, God, but look, what if, people, what if I go and do this and people just don't listen to me? Um, and then down in 4, verse 10, skip, flick down to there, he says, oh, okay, God, but listen, I'm just no good at speaking. I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue, so I'm sorry, but you've obviously made a mistake, O sovereign Lord of the universe. <laughs> and then down in verse 13, he's exhausted all his reasons. And I think verse 13 really just actually gets to the heart of what's going on for Moses. Um, that underneath it all, at the end of it all, he, he just doesn't want to. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I just don't want to do it. And what's really striking through this whole passage, so that's the picture of Moses, but through the whole passage, hopefully you pick this up as we read through it, is alongside that, the incredible patience and kindness and graciousness of God. Every objection is met with a firm but incredibly patient response. God isn't quick to become angry with him. God knows Moses. In all his weakness, he knows that he is dust. And he loves him. And he deals patiently with him. So Moses asks, who am I? God says, don't worry about that. I will be with you. Moses says, who are you? I am who I am. What if they don't listen? Well, I'll give you miraculous signs. So they do. Oh, I can't speak very good. Uh, okay, but who made your mouth, Moses? Was it not me? And I am the one who will be with you. So even, even in Moses' kind of last gasp of defiance against the Lord, even when he says, just send someone else, and Yahweh's anger is then finally kindled, even here he is still patient and gracious and kind. He sends Aaron as Moses' wingman, but it's an insistent patience, isn't it? Yahweh will have his way. Moses will go. And yet he will go not relying on himself, in his own strength. He will go in the power of this patient, kind, sovereign Lord who is and who is with his people to deliver them. 
So he does go, and if you kind of flick down to the end of chapter 4, you find out that people do believe Moses and were told when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Well, friends, how does this all hit home for us? Um, uh, it's, a, it's an incredible story. I hope at, at least you can see that, like, the Exodus is an amazing account. But is it more than that? Is there anything more than that? Well, the, um, the amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing claim of the New Testament is that the same God who met Moses in the burning bush meets you and me, meets us in Jesus the Christ and by his spirit. Um, John chapter 8 is one place where you can see this really powerfully. So feel free to flick there if you like. Um, Jesus makes this most amazing claim. He's in this confrontation with the Jewish leaders, and he says to them at the end of the chapter, chapter 58, he says, uh, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So this is Jesus saying this. He doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He's not just saying, he's really, really old. You know, I've been in hiding for the last 3,000 years. Ta-da. You know, it's, if that's all he was saying, the Jewish leaders would have laughed at him, right? Uh, for a crazy man. He's, saying, he's not just saying, I'm really, really old. He's saying something far more shocking. Not, I was, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. He's... He is claiming equality with Yahweh. And this God now has this name, Jesus. It's incredible. He's claiming to be this God who comes in fire, who is sovereign over all history, this God before whom Moses was terrified and hid his face. Uh, we're, we're told the Jews didn't laugh at him. They were so enraged they tried to kill him there and then. They knew what he was saying. This God who is has incredibly come to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. And he's come to be with his people, not just to hang out with them, but with a purpose to rescue them, to save them. Just like in the Exodus, God heard the cries of his people and came to be with them, to deliver them. At the cost of his own life at the cross, except this time the rescue was on a global final scale, not from Egypt, but from our great enemies, from all evil and sin and death, not just from a physical tyrant, Pharaoh, but the spiritual tyrant, the devil, who holds humanity in slavery. He is God with us to rescue us. He is Emmanuel. And not only that... He is the God who still, so patiently, so patiently still calls his people to join him in his plans. Not because he needs us. Don't ever serve God because you think that. Not because he needs us, but because of his grace, for his own glory, he calls his people, his body, to join in what he is doing to have the incredible privilege of being the means through which he works in this world. 
One more spot in the New Testament to land on. Flick over to Matthew chapter 28, at the end of Matthew's Gospel. It's a, it's a passage that has really strong echoes, I think, of Exodus 3. So this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus meets his disciples also on a mountain. Um, not in a burning bush, but this time in the amazing fire of his own flesh. Uh, we're told that when they saw him, like Moses, they were filled with awe and worshipped him. And like Moses, we're told that some of them too doubted. But Jesus doesn't focus on them and his doubts. He, he patiently comes near to them and says from verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am who I am. <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yahweh kind of burst in on Moses, right, and transformed him. The risen Jesus broke in on these 11 fearful, unimpressive disciples and transformed them and sent them out to go and proclaim his good news to the world. And not long after that, he sent the holy fire of his own spirit to live in them so they could burn with the fire of God and not be consumed. The spirit of the living God who does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-control. The spirit who confirms to our hearts that we are the children of this God. The spirit who enables us to go not in our own strength but in the strength he provides. It's always like that with this God who is, who is with his people and who incredibly patiently, graciously calls them to join his plan. And that same, God, that same call comes to all of us. Um, all of us, actually. Maybe you've never been, maybe, maybe you've never encountered this God. Maybe better to say, never been encountered by this God. Not the God of kind of wish fulfillment, but Yahweh, the one who is. Jesus, the risen Lord, Today, friends, right here and now, he calls you to accept his salvation through trusting your life to him as your king. So come to him, bow your heart before this great God today and trust your life to him. And the most wonderful thing that you'll find, not only to receive his rescue and to his kingdom, that's just where it starts. Jesus, God with us, calls his disciples to go. It'll look different for each of us. It's a team sport. We do it together as his body. But it's the same call to go and join in God's great plan to save people from darkness to light. Friends, there are around 30,000 people along our, our south coast, about around 50,000-ish on the Fleury Peninsula, the vast majority of whom don't know the gospel, are outside of Christ, and are facing the right and eternal judgment of God. On how you do, you feel a bit overwhelmed by that thoughts. Uh, it's becoming harder and harder in Western countries, or at least it feels like it is, to uh, like ours, to be faithful Christians who believe God's word. We look, we all know the census statistics, 
and feel the cultural tides? Do you feel a bit overwhelmed by that? Uh, one of the best moments at this conference I was at um, came towards the end, and it was a Q&A with the main speaker. His name, uh, a guy called Rory Shiner. Might have um, heard of him. We've promoted a couple of his books. Um, but the question he was asked him about this kind of feeling overwhelmed at the cultural pressure Christians under and the decline of Christianity in Australia, and his response was just, I thought his response was great. He said, firstly, well, just remember that in many countries around the world, the gospel is actually exploding, so don't kind of just get over-focused on your own little slice. That's helpful. But he also said, I forget his exact words, but he said something like, because of the gospel, he remains an incurable optimist about the gospel in our country. Because Jesus is just so beautiful and nothing else comes close to him. See, Moses was crippled, wasn't he? He was sort of crippled by his, the fear of the task ahead of him. But God patiently but insistently said, Don't look at, stop looking at yourself, Moses. Get your eyes off yourself. Look at me. Look to Jesus. My brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. Of course you're not up to it, but he is. And he is with you. He is with you. Let's pray. Yahweh, God who is the great I am, we praise you in awe. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who out of your incredible love has chosen to be with us in Jesus, who died and rose again to rescue us. We praise you with inexpressible thanks. O Lord, who calls us in Christ to go, to be your messengers to the world, to partner in your work of making disciples, we praise you in expectation and hope that you will give us all that we need. Turn our eyes away from ourselves, we pray, and turn them to you, our only hope. We pray with confident and peaceful hearts through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.